welcome. I'm Ashley. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jenna. And we are the Bone Club. Last month, we talked about what got us into forensic anthropology. On this month's episode, we'll talk about how. How did we get in? How do you get in? And what jobs can you do once you graduate? So to get started, how did you get in, Jenna? How did you get into academia? How did you get into this field? Yeah, I think a lot of luck and being at the right place at the right time. I originally went into a degree in kind of like rehabilitation sciences. I was hoping to work um, with people post brain injury. Um, and when I got out of my degree, I just wasn't feeling walking down that road for an extended period of time anymore. Um, so I was just kind of floating around. I was working in a restaurant and somebody that I worked with was working outreach at the University of Toronto. Um, and he was telling me all about what he did and how he had a degree in forensic anthropology and my, there were like light bulbs going off in my brain. I was super excited about that. Um, he offered to show me around the campus. I met a couple important people. And then the next thing I knew, I was taking extra credit courses to catch up. I did a year of non-degree courses. So I was just, I, I had the anatomy, I had the osteology, but I was working on the, the forensics aspect of it. Um, and then within the next year, I was in my master's and that's, uh, that was kind of, I was always super in love with the idea of forensics. I just, I've never, I've never been a math person and I didn't think without chemistry or physics that I could ever be a forensic scientist. Um, but the chips just kind of fell exactly where they did. And here I am with, with a master's in it. Stephanie, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I... I always knew I wanted to do forensics. I had went to undergrad thinking I wanted to do forensic pathology. So dealing with all the fleshy bits and doing the autopsies and the morgue and thought, oh, that's what I wanted to do. I was just so fascinated by it all. Um, and then I was taking my classes. I was pre-med, was doing all of those, was pretty much just trying to like make sure that I clicked everything that I needed to um to get be able to get into med school and i found out that to get to pathology i had to go through all the alive people rotations and i was like oh but but people no i don't i don't want to do that and but then i was like i don't know what else i want to do with my life and so like if, as someone who plans like 12 years in advance it like threw me for a loop and i was like i don't know what i want to do anymore and I went and talked to my advisor at the time and she was like, well, I mean, let's just keep going along this path. It's just, you know, a couple years of rotations. It's not going to be your whole life, like whatever, whatever. And so I was just kind of like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing. And I had to take a behavioral science as like a, you know, check mark in my degree plan. And she was like, we'll take this forensic anthropology class. It's close to what you want to do, but you know, not exactly, but it'll count as a behavioral science. And so I was like, cool, whatever. At that point, I was thinking, oh, what are humanities? That's not a real science. I was very much in that mindset, just very much changed now. But uh, I took the class and just fell absolutely in love with it, realized that I could do what I really liked about forensic pathology without having to, one, go through as much school and two, have to deal with the alive people parts of people being sick and things like that. Um, and I had a professor who 
I was just obsessed with. And I was like, I want to be her. How do I become her? <laughs> and so added anthropology as a second major, took all the courses I could to be able to do that. And that was my junior year. So like I was about to graduate and was like, nope, let's throw a wrench in that whole plan and turn it all around. And so then going to apply for grad schools and things like that, I definitely did not have the resume that most people had gotten to want to do grad school. So then I got, I was really fortunate that she knew who then became my grad school advisor and was like, sure, her resume not look like much, but I promise you she's a good student, like really went to bat for me. And yeah, so I went to go get my master's and it was one of my favorite things. I absolutely miss my master's, which is, I know something that not everyone can say, um, but uh, yeah, and I just went and did that. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it all, um, but, and then graduated and went straight into the workforce. So that's pretty much my story. <laughs> Do you want to share who it was? Who the my grad advisor, advisor was? Yeah, the this this faculty member that you wanted to be. Who was uh, it? Dr. Miranda Kless. I wanted to be her so bad. She is fabulous. Um, she used to work in uh Florida, then went and taught at the University of Louisiana Lafayette, which is where I was at school and I think she's actually back in Florida now um, doing more like bioarchaeology, I think. Um, but I was just like, wow, she's fantastic. Can I be her? <laughs> and was just like starstruck. But we do have our stars. <laughs> I actually like you all. I didn't actually start in forensic anthropology, you know, coming up saying, this is what I want to do. Um, I had a couple careers before I even got into this one. And the jump start was actually working as a surgical scrub nurse. And I decided to go back to school. There were some things that were going on and I wanted to go back to school. And I went back to school and I actually didn't even start uh, my undergraduate degree in this in forensic anthropology. It was actually going into um, teaching English literature. I was, I was an English lit major and I was minored in anthropology and I fell in love with anthropology, sociocultural anthropology, and discovered that I can marry the two together, that it actually was possible to marry the two together in forensic anthropology. And so I did that and graduated from my undergraduate institution, went on to Boston University and had an absolute blast and learned an awful lot about the field. But it, at the time, it wasn't a field where a lot of people graduating from the programs went on to practice in forensic anthropology. And I had said, you know what, I'm going to, this is what I want to do. And ended up at my current institution with a really good supervisor, I think, when it comes to some of this stuff, learned an absolute lot. And am now just finishing up and trying to get out 
with my sanity as best as I possibly can. So, yep. <laughs> it, but one of the things that you've noticed with all of us is it is you have to go to grad school. There are some undergraduate institutions. Uh, the University of Toronto in Canada does have an undergraduate program in forensic anthropology. Ohio State University is starting up the first one in uh, the United States. But you do have to, in essence, if you want to practice in the field, you have to go into grad school. So how does our audience get into grad school? People listening here, what are some of the steps they have to do? What are some, what are some tips and tricks that you recommend from your experience? I know, at least for me, this was one that I kind of wish I knew and didn't really, I did not do going into grad school that I wish I would have done, um, was I had researched different grad programs, as we all do, to try to figure out, like, where do I even want to go um, and research, you know, the professors and things like that. But really, it's important to go and talk to the professors, go and get to know them, let them get to know you. Because there are so many people applying to grad schools that all have very, very similar backgrounds. They'll, you know, you did the field schools, or you did the classes, or you did whatever, which all are awesome things that do make you stand out. But when you have a list of 50 people that have all done similar things, then what makes you stand out? And so this field, as with a lot of fields, is who do you know and how well do they know you? Um, cause we are a very small field. So like really making those connections with people is a really important step. And so while I'm very happy with where I ended up and I would not change that for the world, I do think that if I were to go back and like, t you know, tell my past self something, it would be go do those, not just like email the professor, but like set up a FaceTime, set up a Zoom or a whatever to actually like have like face-to-face -face contact with that person. So then when they see your resume, they know who you are already. They've met you. You know if you connect because you might have very similar interests, but do not get along with each other at all. And so like knowing that stuff beforehand, I think is really, really important. And it's something that I didn't do that I wish I had done. That's something I can't stress enough is going and meeting the faculty members meeting those potential supervisors talking with them getting to know them the number of people i've heard from where they they get accepted into a program they go into that program and oil and water get along better than supervisor and student mm -hmm. it just it happens and it happens all the time and it happens everywhere so yes, you do need to go through and meet the potential supervisors. The other thing that I would stress, not only looking at potential supervisors is, or emailing potential supervisors and uh, meeting with them in person, but also remember you're looking at the supervisor, you're looking at what they wanna teach and how they teach it. Don't worry about the name of the institution. Agreed. Um, one of the things that you know, 
Harvard has a, a really great name and we'll use archaeology. It has a really great name in academia. BioAnth and their archaeology programs not as great as a lot of other places. And that's true in a lot of different areas. You know, some of the best schools that teach forensic anthropology are small little schools that you've barely even heard of. Things like Western Carolina mm -hmm. and other, uh, other institutions, University of uh, Indianapolis. Yep. I mean, the master's program that I went to was not one that was super well known at the time. Like it's getting a little more up there because of my grad advisors, but she had just started there like a year or so before I started at the University of West Florida. And even when like Googling, you know, my my Google basics uh, of where are good anthropology programs for a master's degrees, Google, send, right? didn't pop up because it was a very small school it was known for maritime archaeology prior to alicia being there now it is definitely becoming a bigger uh, program because of her but it is still a very very small school but had my undergrad advisor not like been like hey apply to this school i probably would have never thought about it never really would have tried to go there um but I recommend that school to the nth degree because being under Alicia was just like what made my career the what it is so far. And so like it really, your relationship with your advisors really does make or break your college, you know, your grad school experience. Um, and I also think going on with meeting the advisor and stuff is talking to students that already go there because while they might not be in your cohort or you might not really necessarily take classes with them because maybe they're about to graduate or something like that. Um, but knowing how they view the program is a big difference because, I mean, let's be real, professors have to sell their programs. So they're going to tell you the good things uh, while the students might be a little more brutally honest um, and tell you, you know, this is something that I've noticed, but it doesn't bother me, but it might be bother you or something like that. Um, so really also talking to the students that are currently there makes a big difference. Yeah, and to go on the name, like you don't need to go to a big name university. In fact, like the bigger the name, the less attention you'll get as a student. So sometimes it's it's just better to go somewhere that you've never heard of, but has a fabulous program and a supervisor that you like. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I know I've have, you know, friends now in the field that, did go to bigger name schools and had to, you know, fight tooth and nail for every bit of funding, every bit of everything that they did. While for me, because I was, I had a cohort of three people, any opportunity that Alicia found, she texted us and was like, do you want to do this? Instead of like me having to be like clawing at any opportunity, she really like brought us a lot of opportunities. And while that says obviously a lot on her as an advisor to begin with, it really is a space where if you, you know, you don't go to a school that has 20, 40 people in your cohort or in the cohorts around you, you can really get more experience in that way. Yeah, and this is something that um, beyond, one of the things that I would say is also don't limit yourself 
to your home country if you have to. I mean, if you have to, yeah, you have to limit it to, to where you're at. But you know, for me, for my undergrad or for my graduate journey, I ended up going to Canada. I'm originally from the United States. I ended up going to Canada to study what I needed to study. And I tell my students quite often, if you're serious about getting into forensic anthropology, and I remember I'm talking to Canadian students, you've got to look at the United States. You can't just look at Canada. There's not as many positions in Canada as there are in the United States. But even between us, you know, there are schools in United Kingdom, in Australia, in New Zealand, in South Africa. There are schools all over the place. So look at those grad programs even outside of the U.S., outside of Canada, and you'll be able to find a home that is good for you. Yeah, another point that I would stress is if you know that you're going into a program that's going to require a research project, um, to start considering what you would want that to be for yourself before you even kind of dive in. Um, the more you love your research and the more passionate you are about your research, the easier it will be to get it done. Um, and so going in, not entirely married to an idea because research can change in the blink of an eye, everything's always changing, but just going in with something that you're at least passionate about and you can bring forward to that supervisor to be like, hey, this is what I'm excited about. I'd love to research this and I would love to do it with you. Those are always big. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree. I, this is all very much a do as I say, not as I do, because I did not go into grad school with a thesis idea at all. I was just, I was so green, as you say, uh, because I had literally only learned what anthropology was two years before I started grad school and I was just like I don't know I barely know what the field is much less what I want to fix about it or what hasn't been like anything and so I really I mean I went through like four or five different topics that first year just being like okay these are my plans this is where I want to end up these like these are my lifelong goals but as far as how to get there I don't know and so like my advisor was really good about walking me through things and being like because I would like throw out ideas and be like oh I would think this is so interesting I want someone to do this and she's like but what's like what's the purpose like what sure you can research that thing but then what like what is that used for and I think that often is something that isn't really discussed too often is like sure you can do a paper everyone can write a research paper but picking a topic that you know, betters the field, advances certain things is really important. And that really puts you in a better space if you want, you know, to follow through with a career afterwards is like having research that is applicable in the applied versions of our field. Um, and so like, if you want to go into just research, then maybe the applied doesn't have to be as readily noticeable. Um, but if you want to go directly into an applied field, then having research that can then be taken directly to be applied is really important as well. I say, as I did not do an applied thesis at all, but again, say as, do as I say, not as I do, right? 
Well, and you don't have to necessarily have an applied thesis. I mean, my doctoral dissertation, it, yes, it applies to forensic anthropology, but let's be honest, it's not going to be used in forensic but a lot of the research that came out of it, a lot of the research that I've done adjacent to it is applicable and is there to change things. Right. But the research is the research. So you can give yourself a little bit of leeway on that, but you have to always keep an eye towards on how can I better the field? How can I improve the field? How can I advance the field? And sometimes it's, you know, recognizing that while you're doing your master's degree, while you're doing your PhD, that you don't necessarily have to focus on just that one piece of research, but look at some of the other things. And if, if you are a master's student, one of the things, or an undergraduate student, but this is more for master's students, attach yourself to those projects. Really and truly, if, if you know someone in your cohort, someone who is, is working on another project that is outside of their dissertation, see if there's a way you can join in on that project and expand what you're working on. Don't be a one-trick pony. Look at everything. And the other thing about research that, that I think for me as advice to people is you don't necessarily have to do research that is related to what your supervisor or potential supervisor studies. Um, my look Again, looking at my doctoral research, it looks at histology and protein degradations. My supervisor studies sex assessments. Wouldn't know the microscope that I look at if it was in the room with her. But that's that doesn't mean she's she you know she looked at what I wanted to do and then say, no, this is outside my wheelhouse. And she has been extremely helpful for me because she's been focusing more on asking those questions that need to be asked of my research, which is more important than needing to mesh, you know, research idea to research idea. No, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I know at least like, you know, once you're in grad school or you're trying to write a paper, really having your committee be a super diverse committee that each of them has very different specialties is really important where like I made sure that I had a cultural anthropologist a forensic anthropologist an archaeologist had uh, or bioarchaeologist I had someone who was a psychologist because for myself I did my research on cognitive bias which is a very like psychological um topic and so like having someone who's good at each of the different various facets of your research that way they do question your entire paper right they question every little aspect to where it betters your research because you don't want someone who thinks exactly like you to read it and be like sounds good done you want them to question everything that way it actually 
can be used in the future and it's not just a 300 page paper that you wrote for nothing <laughs> you want it to be useful and I know uh for myself like a big thing for the applied part it's not necessarily that like it has to be a method right I didn't mean applied in that way but more just so that whether it be grad school or going to get a job after the fact it's really how you market yourself and having research that is that can be applied in however you see fit and be able to vocalize how it can be applied shows that you can market yourself and as much as anthropologists i think we're all a little socially awkward a lot of it is personal marketing like how good are, how good are you at not only explaining who you are explaining your interests but explaining what you can bring to a team really makes a difference as far as getting into grad schools getting those jobs um because it's a really competitive field we're really small there's not that many open spaces and a lot of people find it very interesting so you have to learn how to really market yourself which is no easy task sorry for the loud noise <laughs> but how how would you do that i mean for me one of the things that i tell my students all the time is you've got to go to conferences and grad school and undergrad present your research go to conferences get your name out there that's how you market yourself networking 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 as much as i hate networking you've got a network but then once you've done it what are those job prospects what is the availability to get a job i mean here we have a rather unique situation between the three of us stephanie you have a job i do i'm I am, very lucky <laughs> you're very lucky i am planning to graduate and I am in the process of applying to job after job after job after job. Jenna, you just graduated. You now have the sheepskin to, to show everybody. Have you decided yeah. to get another one or are you looking for a job? I am looking only just, so I, another point I would make is like di diversity is great. Like all of us kind of switched our degrees and I, I don't think there's any problem with that. I think the more knowledge you've taken from other um, disciplines, the better. Um, and my problem is that I've only ever been in academia and I have only ever worked in restaurants. So for me, I think my next stage of diversification is getting a, a, an office type or, you know, corporate something that's not a restaurant and I'm not serving people food, but I'm expanding my ability to learn and grow. Uh, but I'm not discounting a PhD because even as far as I've gotten now, it's so terrifying that I just want to run back to the smooth, warm hug and embrace of academia, which sounds insane. <laughs> but <laughs> once once a student, always a student, I think. It's the trauma you know rather yeah. than the trauma you don't. <laughs> I can anticipate how horrible it'll be. But, and yeah. learn. You've hit on the right word there. It is a trauma. It is a trauma. It's fun. You learn a lot, but 
the trope that it's an easy life is a joke in and of itself. Right. The truth about academic life is, is it is not easy. Yeah. yeah, you there's occasionally where you'll have a week or two where you don't do anything. There are weeks where you're on campus doing your research at 3 a.m. in the morning. And that's on a Saturday. Because that's the academic. But once you get it, once once you're in it, then you can you can look at jobs and you look at what you are good at while you're in grad school. I mean, for me personally, I'm applying to anything and everything that comes up. If it's at a medical examiner's office, I'm applying to it. If it's if it's a um, at another sort of area that's with that's within the field within the industry, I'm applying to it. The biggest ones I've got my fingers sort of crossed for are postdoc positions and faculty positions, because one of the things that I have found out about myself through my academic journey is. I really love teaching. And she is fabulous at it. I'm just going to cut you off. Like, this is no boost on Ashley. She is a beloved TA. And that, thank you. <laughs> it's just, this is something that I really enjoy doing is, is the teaching side of things. So I'm hoping to, to get one of those faculty positions, to get a postdoc more than the other things. But the thing that worries me is, again, this is a very competitive field. And because it is competitive, there are not as many jobs available that I, you know, than I would like. I would like a lot more jobs to be available. I can count the number of jobs available, faculty jobs in, on one hand between two countries. And with that, I'm hoping you know, that there are not five people graduating with their PhD this year. That is a reality that you have to face. And a lot of it is luck. Because even though there's only five positions that have opened up so far, that's actually pretty high for, for any given year. A lot of times you're looking at three, maybe, if you're lucky. Right. I mean, and that's kind of one of those things when you think about marketability and how to showcase like who you are to a job field or to um like grad programs and things like that is anthropology as a whole. I mean, what is, you know, what is anthropology? It's the study of people, right? Like we're really good at understanding like the complex, like social things that happen and you know we have good management skills and like there's a lot of things that get taught within the field of anthropology that isn't just applied anthropology and so one thing that I know I've talked to some students and stuff about is like you know maybe you don't have the check marks that are needed for a certain job um 
in your like explicit writing, you know, maybe you don't have direct management experience, but have you volunteered in certain ways? Have you put yourself out there to learn the skills maybe in an indirect setting and being able to showcase that like not maybe I didn't have this class on this one topic, but I have gone through and I've done all of these. I've learned all these skills through other things. So I think I mean, I know you were saying you don't want to go back to restaurant business, but being in the restaurant and industry service teaches you people skills, communication skills, teaches you time management skills, teaches you people management skills in ways that like working in an office job just doesn't like oh, I bless my, I bless my stars every day that I've that restaurants are where I ended up I have learned so much working in a restaurant like literally conflict management restaurants right want to exactly. learn how to deal with people if you have social anxiety restaurants like <laughs> it'll it'll punch it right out of you <laughs> and so I think a lot of I think a lot of times we get and I mean, I was definitely someone that did this too of like, you go to apply to jobs and you're like, well, I took these classes and I have this degree and I blah, blah, blah. You know, I have these direct experiences that are directly related to this thing, but you don't like when you have to market yourself and like explain who you are and the skills you have, you're more than just the classes you took. You know, you are your life experiences and being able to be able to show other people who you are really does make a big difference because then- not only are you showing them, I can learn on the job, I can learn on my feet, I can learn in settings that aren't a classroom necessarily, but also that you know what types of skills you have and you know how to communicate that to them. Because communication, regardless of your job, is probably one of the biggest things you always have to do because we're always dealing with other people. And so like learning how to talk about your skills and use those skills in different settings. Um, and, and I know I said marketing yourself a bunch already, but like, it really is just like how to market yourself to the jobs you want to, whether it be academic or applied or whatever. And then also just like, I know for me, this is one thing I'm learning a lot for myself is I did not like teaching. I don't want to teach. I don't want to do academia. I'm very much an applied science person. Um, but I think both parts of the forensic anthropology field can learn a lot from the other half, essentially, because there's a lot of things that applied scientists kind of ignore, like theory and things like that, that academic scientists are really good at. Um, while sometimes academic scientists can get really into theory and forget how to actually use this thing in real life and so I think it's good to have both of those skill sets kind of intertwined with each other even if you don't necessarily have direct experience in those things surrounding there is there is something about marketing that you can do while you're in school if if you are in school uh one of the things that I would recommend to students is Join student organizations, not just as a member, but work in some sort of leadership role. If you are in grad school, if you're going to grad school, join professional organizations as student members and try to serve in positions such as student liaisons and on various committees if you're allowed to. 
that shows that one, you're interested in the field beyond just methods and the theories. You're actually interested in the field. It also shows that you can work with people to help better the field. And that is a massively marketable skill that you can't get sitting in a classroom. You can't get sitting in the lab. You have to be able to work with people and show that you can work with people. And the best, one of the best ways to do that is by serving on different committees, serving in different organizations. Right. And looking at what those organizations can do for your institution, how betters the institution. So look, picking organizations that not only interest you, but that you can look at and say, this will better this institution by whatever. So those are, those are some things that I would recommend. On topic of trauma and skills, where, what would you say in terms of like what a student should have or may require coming into a program such as forensics and forensic anthropology and forensic pathology? Like what kind of coping mechanisms would you say that an individual coming into this field should be prepared to work on or have? It bad that the first thing I thought of was drinking. Um, that's not a healthy coping me mechanism. Don't do that, even though a lot of us in the field do. Um, I think that really in recent years, it's changing a little bit, but knowing that you're not objective in everything you do and really like checking back in with yourself, because I know for me, like, my journey from grad or like you know undergrad to now I'm like 108 like definitely a different person of like I first started out being like science is objective and this is all whatever whatever and now I'm like nothing's objective everything's subjective everything's whatever and but like that really opened up for me the like ability to kind of reconcile with myself that like we're dealing with death every day and it's okay for that to bother you a little bit like and just like knowing yourself and knowing your boundaries is really important and that's really hard to tell someone at you know what are you 21 when you might enter grad school 21 and older you don't know yourself at that age so you don't know what your boundaries are and what all you know what you can handle but like really just having those periodic check-ins with yourself of like, am I okay with this? Like you might think you love forensics and then you get there and you're like seeing any type of dead body breaks you and not necessarily that being broken is a bad thing, but does it affect your ability to do your job? Does it affect your life outside of your job? Because we are, I think a lot of us in the field have a hard time having that work-life balance. So like, does does your job bleed into every other aspect of your life in good or bad ways? You know, having those check-ins with yourself is really important 
and then setting those like firm boundaries for yourself of like I won't accept these things and I think that's important technically in every aspect of your life but especially your job and especially for at least for me what I've noticed in the field is like we all care so deeply about the field and about the work that we do because forensic science and like forensic anthropology is a very humanistic science we're you know we're working with very traumatic events and very like you know just like hostile things sometimes and so we care so deeply and so just like making sure that you take time to check back in with yourself um yeah I guess that's that's what I've got it's not perfect but and and this is a actually a topic that I know we were going to discuss uh in the future is how do we deal with the emotional trauma of being of what we see but there is trauma that we deal with and not just the trauma on the remains but the trauma with remains and there are some coping mechanisms one of the things that i have come to appreciate and i stress to people now is have a therapist Mm -hmm. have a therapist that you can talk to and it even if you, you're in grad school, you, you go to grad school or you're in an undergrad program and you're going to grad school, it's okay to have a therapist even if you don't actually get to go out on cases and see things because just grad life is stressful and breaks people. So I would recommend having that therapist. If you do go out on cases as a grad student, being able to relay what you see with your therapist and, and being able to find a way to process. Because the unfortunate truth is you're not going to know what you can and cannot handle until you're faced in that situation. Exactly. The number of people I have worked with in my field, both in the forensic pathology side of things, uh, when I was helping people with autopsies or as forensic anthropologists that have dropped out of the field in its entirety with their first kid or have dropped out as, as being forensic anthropologists when they've graduated from working with just skeletons to, all right, now I have a set of remains that has soft tissue on it, that has badly decomposed, that was a part of a fire and there's various different states of fleshiness to use a a different term. Some people can't handle that. They can handle the dry bones and they can do that perfectly, but you add anything beyond that and they just, they can't do it. And recognizing, Hey, can't do this is a key part in not being able to push yourself. And like I said, this is where a therapist can help you. And it's something that I've come to appreciate more recently because I've been one of those people that have just, all right, I'm in anthropology mode and brain is shut off. I'm just going to deal with what I have here. And you don't realize until. You know, it's too late 
the impact it has had on you. Right. And I think, and I think it's, it's okay for things to have impact on you. I think, I think a lot of times we want so badly to not like to make our morbid jokes and say, Oh, it's all fine. We have a dark sense of humor, which I do think a lot of us do, but it's okay to not only have that dark sense of humor, but to also recognize that it does affect you. I mean, I know for myself, like working, you know, primarily in a field, like in like a job setting that like works with past wars and things like that, where like, you know, it is mostly skeletonized. Very rarely do I get tissue, though sometimes you get hair and nails and that kind of grosses me out, but it is what it is. Um, But like, you can very easily step away sometimes in those situations but now anytime I see like a little old man with like a war hat on I immediately cry because the people that are on my tables would have been their age and like that stuff that like I never thought I would like not necessarily that I wouldn't care about because I do care but like I didn't think it would affect me in that way where like I might not cry at work because I can get my work done, but then I'm at the grocery store and a little old man who has a Korean War vet hat on makes me cry because I haven't fully dealt with things. And so like those are the times that I'm like, okay, check back in with myself. What is why am I feeling what I'm feeling and like how how to process those things? And I also think um like if you're not already to the point of grad school or you're those types of things you're just thinking I might want to do this field I think like internships and volunteering is a really I won't say easy because it's very hard to get them because they're unpaid and there's all those issues with uh internships and stuff like that but having if you can get the opportunity to see what the job is like before going through the schooling and going through like I would hate for someone to go through grad school get lots of student debt to get on their first job and be like oh no I don't want this and then not necessarily that it's a waste because you learned a lot but it sometimes can feel that way because you're like I've done so much to get to this point and now what and you feel kind of stuck so I I know like for like when I work with interns or people that are like new to the field or in undergrad and things like that I try my best to always like tell them to try to take any opportunity you can to see what the field is like because Ashley was right like you don't know what you can't handle until you can't handle it and it's better to learn those things early than too late um I know for myself uh I was lucky not lucky I don't know how to explain that but in high school, I had an internship in a pathology lab because I thought I wanted to do pathology. And the first autopsy I ever saw was on a newborn. It doesn't quite get much sadder than that. Um, yeah. And so, like, for me, that was, like, a very staunch, like, all right, you either like this or you don't because this is rough. Um, you're right into the fire with that one right and so like not to necessarily say that everyone needs to start their career with an autopsy of a newborn but 
sometimes throwing yourself into the fire a little bit to see if you even like the thing. Because luckily, you know, the uh, pathologist that I was working under at that point was very kind and very understanding of like, if you are not okay, walk out at any time. And like having those opportunities to jump into the fire, but know you can get pulled out without it really, hopefully not affecting too much, um, I think is really important as far as like, if someone, you know, whoever's listening is thinking they want to go into this field is like, try your hand, meet people and try really hard to get those opportunities um, as few and far between as they are. Um, But and one of the things that you can do is email an anthropologist that you know is in your area. Uh, you can always look to see if there is somebody in your area through the American Board of Forensic Anthropology's website and ask if you can shadow them for a day. Say, tell them exactly what you're looking for, that, that you're planning on entering this field, you have this experience, you want to make sure that this is the right field. Would it be possible to go speak to them for uh, and, and talk to them? And then if possible, shadow them in their job duties for a day and, and see what what's going on. But this is actually a very interesting topic and maybe one that we can uh, delve into next month. Because I think it is something that needs to be addressed. It's something that our field is just now at the very, very baby steps of working working on and working towards yeah. is this, how do you deal with the emotional trauma of what we see and how we deal with things? And I think, I think that's something the, that would be good. Yeah, and I think with like the influx of like, you know, murder porn and there's just infinite amounts of crime stuff that you can take in and you might think, I love this. I love listening to these crime podcasts. I love watching all these murder documentaries i love watching all these true crime cases but it it is sexy on the screen to a point and then you need to be prepared that it, that it's not on the screen anymore and there are things to be considered before you jump into a degree or a career kind of thing no i i mean that is a great point of the tv because i mean i know we talked about this a little bit last uh podcast but like i feel like a lot of us really liked you know, our crime shows and things like that. And the job is not that. <laughs> I, It is not that. Sure, there are some days where you see a really cool case where you're like, whoa, what's going on with this guy's orbit, right? Like, or <laughs> they've got this weird broken femur that has a cloaca that's like the size of my fingernail in the middle of it, which are all terms you could Google. But essentially, <laughs> and so like you can have really cool cases but it is not every day and it is not something like, oh, I found this thing and they're going to be ID'd in the moment and then everything's going to be happy and the family's going to be so happy. And like, that is not the everyday job. Like a and lot it's only of- cool if you're not entirely traumatized before you can get to right. cool. So Exactly. And so just like having a realistic expectation of what the job is too, um, I think is important because- while yes, I think all of us can pr- sing the praises of anthropology and what we like, but it's like, what of anthropology do you like? Because what you might see on TV is not really what anthropology is. So is the thing you really like about anthropology 
something that actually we do or is it something that sounds like we do but it's not actually our job like I wish I could tell you that I have hydrated you know uh old fingerprints to get a fingerprint from someone I have not ever done that (laughs) maybe someone has and I'm not saying it's not something that can't be done but it is not my everyday and so if that's the thing that someone's like oh I just really want to be able to like wear someone's fingers as gloves yeah, and you haven't dehydrated a finger and put it on your own finger and then used it to scan something really right. <laughs> and so like if that's what you're really wanting out of the field maybe maybe reevaluate a little bit but like so just like being having a really realistic viewpoint of not only what the field is what the job is and what you can handle as a person because not everyone can handle it and that's okay too Well, I, I think we've covered a lot today. I think we have a, a, a good setup for next month. So until then, I want to thank you all. I'm Ashley. I'm Jenna. And I'm Stephanie. And we are the Bone Club, and we will see you next month. See you later. <laughs>